Amen. Thank you, Brother Roger. I appreciate that. And uh, I want to say, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And as you do so, I want to say, um, you know, that Paul told Timothy, he gave him, he said, you know, as a son, you're to be strong in the grace of our Lord. He said, as a soldier, you're to, are in, are to endure hardness. And he said, as a husbandman, he said, you are, should first be a partaker of the fruits of what you're doing. And, uh, and I want to say that I've enjoyed not only researching and teaching, but, uh, but trying to do my best to improve my relationship at home with my wife. These things have helped me as well. And uh, because it doesn't do any good, I, I don't want there to be any difference between what I speak on here and the way that I live. And, uh, and I, uh, I love my wife dearly. And I was just thinking about it today. If something were to, to happen, where, where I would be. And, and I, I have those thoughts. You have those thoughts as you get older in life. You, you wonder about some of those things. It's not morbid thoughts. But nonetheless, I consider those things. And, uh, but I thank God for the wife that God uh, gave to me and brought the gospel to me along with a lot of other things. I like how Brother Roger says about Cindy, she brought culture to agriculture. And, uh, and that is true and we had to have that. And that kind of brings me to where we are tonight. I asked you to go to the book of Philippians in chapter 2 and we want to finish this last <clears throat> this last topic tonight for us as men, and I'm sure that what I have covered in the past several weeks is not an exhaustive list, but there are there are ways and uh, and topics and so forth that still uh, yet to be addressed on how to improve our marriages and for marriage to be what it was meant to be. And tonight I want to talk about the topic of esteem, esteem. And uh, let's find it here in this passage, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He said, If therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem, there's our word, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And uh, I want to speak to you tonight, brethren, about that word esteem, and how that relates to you as a couple. And, uh, and you know, the, the Word of God is, it uses that in, in different places on occasion. And, um, and so you and I, we are to embrace that in particular when it comes to our wives. I, I think of the passage over there in First Peter. We spent a few weeks doing that one, First Peter 3 and 7, where it says, Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge. You know, it says giving honor unto the weaker vessel that your, what, uh, as, as heirs together, 
uh, of life that your prayers be not hindered. That's what I was trying to get to. Some men, you know, they may talk to one another. That maybe you have talked to somebody else and said, you know, man, my prayer life is just not what it, it what it should be. It's not what it's been. You know, and a good response to you, brethren, might be, well, how are things between you and your wife? Because if you and your wife are not, are not moving forward and not moving closer together, according to that passage in 1 Peter 3, you will be hindering your prayer life. And, uh, and so as a result, you have to look at that from time to time. And, and when we started this journey about marriage as it was meant to be, I, I talked about some things that, that you were to provide under that umbrella of love. That love is an action word, not a feeling per se. For God so loved the world that what? He gave, right? I mean, it moved him. It drove him. And, uh, and he did some things and he sent the Lord Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, all right? And one of those things I said you were to provide was stability in the home. Stability. In other words, that, that realm, if you will, that peaceful environment that, that you are providing emotional and you are providing financial and spiritual stability in your home. That means you're taking an active role in the leadership of your home in those matters and so forth. And then I said that she had to have security in her heart, that, uh, that you, your, uh, your allegiance to God uh, is first and then to her and should never come into question, your allegiance to her. She needs security in her heart that she alone is meeting needs that no other female on the planet is meeting. That when you got married, the, the scripture says that you leave and cleave. And I've said you leave emotionally and financially, spiritually and so forth. And it's the two of you together against the world. And she needs that security in her heart. Just, just like we, just like the song we sang tonight. I am persuaded that what I have committed unto him, what? Against that day. And so too it is for your wife that what she has committed unto you, in her submission to you, of your headship and so forth, to be a one-man woman, that, that matters to her. And that has to be some security in her heart for that. Because I'm telling you, she has lived her life thinking about that. Maybe, she, maybe you weren't the first person that ever tried to court her or whatever, but no doubt probably you were the first person that, uh, that she said, yes, I will marry you when you asked her. And so, uh, and so she needs that security in her heart. And then the last thing I said, and it kind of ties with this, and it's been a while since we've looked at that. And the third thing was a sense of worth in her husband. A sense of worth in her husband. And what I simply mean by that, for those of you at home that are tuning in, I'm glad that you have, is that you value her. That, you, that somewhere in your marriage, periodically, you acknowledge to her how much you need her. I mean, God said that in the beginning when he said it was not good for man to be alone. God knew that we needed someone. That we needed someone to complete our lives, to complement what we do. Not be in competition with us, but to complement our lives. And so she needs that sense of worth in her husband, that you value her. And that's what the word means. So let's look at the definition tonight of the word esteem. And, and if you look it up, I, I did a little, uh, I, I like... Um, What's the word? The word is etiologies and so forth. I like that. Taking a word. 
Yeah, etymologies. Etiology is where, is where diseases start. <laughs> Sorry. Some of those words get uh, confused. And so etymologies, yes, I love those. I, I like the root meaning of words and the like, where they come from and how they're connected to other words and uh, that they all have a bearing on each other in our language. And that word esteem simply means to assess. It's kind of like, you know, when a man would strike gold or what he thought was gold and or in that rock, he would take that to, a, to the assayer's office and what would he do? He would run a series of tests on it and he would break off a chunk and he would measure it out and he might say how much was in that vein or what the percentage was of that rock and he would determine whether it was pyrite, you know, fool's gold, or whether it really was gold or not. And so they would make an assessment about that. And either he was a very wealthy man or, or he went home disappointed because there wasn't much in there, nothing to speak of, of no value. And so uh, God wants us, if you will, in this sense, we make an assessment. It means to consider. It's where the word to estimate comes from. You know, uh, I, I think about your brother when you go and you bid on a job. What did you do? You bid, you made an estimate. You looked at that thing. What's the cost going to be? How many board feet are here? Do I need special materials? How tough are the angles? What kind of crew do I have to have? All that goes together, I suppose, in the bid. How many days I'm going to be there? What's, what's going to be my, my fuel expense and getting people here and getting all the supplies and getting the materials? And then you submit that and you put that. You made an estimate. And so it's the same thing. It's how we determine the, the worth or the value of something or someone. Now, go with me to the book of Proverbs and look in, in, in chapter 31 with me, a, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I, I want to see you, I want you to see where God has made, uh, a, a, if you will, God has made an estimation. God has put a value on some things. And I want you to see this here. Notice what it says, Proverbs 31. I know you know this chapter. And look in verse 10, Proverbs 31, verse 10. It says, who can find a virtuous woman? Now watch, for her price is what? Is far above rubies. Her price. God made an estimation as to the value of a virtuous woman and recorded it for all of eternity and said that price is far above rubies. When he would have put them, if you will, on a scale and what they were worth and what they valued, that she would outweigh those rubies many, many times. Her price is far above. He just didn't say she's worth more. You know, he said far above. He put a superlative on there. And so, and so it is that God said of this woman that she is more valuable than maybe the most precious stone of that day. And it wasn't just one, it was rubies. Proverbs 18.22 says this, it says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. God said of your wife, if you have one, you ought to thank God because you have a good thing. I mean, God knows about her. God, if, I mean, I believe that you should get married in the Lord. Amen. Uh, unbelievers, you shouldn't be yoked together with an unbeliever. So, I mean, your wife is a Christian and, and the like. And so God's already said of her that she's a good thing. And that therefore what he says is good. Didn't he do that when he looked upon the creation? He saw this and he said, man, that was good. He saw those works and he said, that was good. He went all the way through that and he rested. Me. Why? Because all those things were good. God gave a value. God gave an estimation. God esteemed them highly. 
And brethren, what God magnifies, we ought to magnify. I mean, if you want to be right with Him, if you want marriage what it was meant to be, it was meant to be a wonderful thing. And in part, you know, I mean, have you ever thought about this? You say, well, man, Brother Ed, I mean, you, you, you don't know her. Well, gosh, I, you know, I only know you as I see you around here. <laughs> we don't know what she has to put up with. Yeah. Some of you I do know. <laughs> and some of you know me. And, uh, but, but my point is here is that, that God said of these things that it was good and brethren, we ought to embrace that. We ought, we ought to look at that word and that we esteem. I, I was thinking about the passage, brother, in Thessalonians that talks about that we're to esteem those in leadership and it says very highly for, for their work's sake. That we're to value what God values. We are to, we are to appreciate, we're to acknowledge those things. And brethren, this is where, you know, in, in, in terms of moving forward, we not only see the definition of what esteem means, but what does it say back in our passage? Go back there with me. To Go back there in, my, in our passage in Philippians. Look back there with me. Philippians chapter 2. And, and look in verse 3. You know, I, I, I have run across some things where I have, I have met some men. I felt like the way that, you know, I, I, the way that they behaved and the way that they spoke, that they didn't have a very high estimation of their wife. And it's a shame. And, uh, and you say, well, how would you know that? Were you in some private meeting? No, I was out in public and I heard how they talked and what they did. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of like this. If, they, if they're not ashamed or afraid to do that in public, how much worse is it when they're in private? The same thing is true. Uh, the same thing is true in other areas. But I'm just saying, brother. Look at this passage. Look, back, look there in verse three. It says, "Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Esteem other better than themselves. It doesn't mean that I am to think that I am inferior to my wife or even to another brother. That I am inferior." The gifts that we have, they are unique. Sometimes they are, sometimes they could be the same. God just doesn't have one preacher in all the land or whatever or one missionary or one, one teacher, if you will. There, there are many brethren and, and ladies that have some of the same gifts and similar gifts, but neither of them are to be inferior to each other. And that's not what this passage says. In other words, it's not about, it's not about thinking myself to be inferior, but it is about thinking that my brethren are more valuable. And that I am more expendable. Did you hear me? I mean, God can get along without me and you. He'll just raise up somebody else. You know, and I love the illustration. You know, if God could turn around and use a donkey to do what needed to be done, he'll have no problem finding a substitute for any one of us. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's Balaam's donkey. And, uh, and my point is, it doesn't mean that, you know, and people are worried about a lot of times all about, well, Brother Ed, you're just talking about having such low self-esteem. If you don't have, I mean, if you don't have high esteem of yourself, what? That's the problem in the world. 
It's not that they, are, that they have such low self-esteem. They've got too much of it. And they think too highly of themselves. We're warned about that in more than one place, like Romans 12 and 3, not to think more highly of ourselves as we ought to think. In other words, if we're going to use our gift, if we're really going to be transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind and, and not conform to the world, we've got to have the right attitude in our heart about ourselves and about those around us. And so here, you know, it just simply means that we're not, I'm not to think about myself as being inferior. I'm just supposed to think about other people maybe as being more worthy, more valuable in my life. You think about, you think about some of the kind of friends that maybe you've had over the years. You know, the Bible talks about the, uh, teaches us about the steadfast friend, that friend that loveth at all times, adversity and achievement. I, I think about that friend that is willing to risk you. In other words, risk your friendship, risk your relationship, but that he tells you the truth. It says open rebuke is better than secret love. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. The latter verse there in chapter 27 of the book of Proverbs says that as iron sharpeneth iron, so does a man the countenance of his friends. You and I, we need some sandpaper friends in our lives. Someone to help polish us, to knock the rough edges off from time to time. And it might even be that that friend that you got might be the one you're sitting next to at home right now or in here in the pew. It might be the one you call sweetheart or babe or whatever pet name you may have for her. God may use her to help polish on you. You need to be thankful for those kind of friends in your life. To esteem them. To give them the proper place. So, we've talked about, we've talked about the, the, if you will, the definition of the word. But how can we demonstrate this, brethren? How can we demonstrate to our wives that we do, in fact, esteem them highly? That we value them, that we consider them to be, to be, a, if you will, a blessing from above, as God has said, "He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing." I, I will tell you, you know, we are to, and the Scripture teaches us that we are to love in deeds, if you will, more than our words. Words are important, but deeds, you know, the old saying, you know, that uh, talk is cheap, right? You, don't tell me that you love me. Show me that you love me. I think it was Brother Roger, I think you were the one that said, dead noses smell no roses or something like that. And uh, in other words, you give them the roses while they're alive, while they're amongst us, not when they're gone. And, uh, and so there are ways that you and I can show that we, that we do esteem them highly. I mean, like a little thing, if you, I say a little thing, but sometimes it might be, uh, you know, you probably haven't thought about this. Maybe you've thought about, man, well, some guys say, well, man, you know, I got my wife this, I got her this big ring, or I got her a new car, and I, I bought her these things. You know, a lot of times it's not, it's not that she wants more of those things. She just wants more of you. And sometimes it doesn't have to do with the size of the object or whatever of your gift, but rather more of the consideration you took in, in purchasing it. In other words, I probably, if I were to ask the ladies, would you rather have a last minute gift or would you rather have something that maybe he spent six months working on or he thought it over and shopped it and looked around and it took him six months to find it? I bet you if I were to take a poll, the ladies would say, gosh, that thing that he spent six months working on or looking at or thinking about, considering before he got it for me. 
And you say, why is that? Because that meant for six months I was on his mind. Um, you, you could help me out here, ladies. If that's true, just nod your head up and down. All right? It doesn't have to be the size of the object. It doesn't have to be. In other words, more consideration or your consideration of her is more important than the cost of the item. Your consideration. I remember one time when Debbie and I were dating. I had an occasion to go into her bedroom. And, uh, and I noticed on the wall she had a, a cork board. You know, like a little bulletin board. It wasn't very big. It was just a little bulletin board. And I noticed some stuff up there. And, and, and she had, uh, I, I think it was a push pin or might have been a straight pin. They did a lot of sewing in their home. It was probably straight pins, as I recall. Does it really matter? But I noticed there were a lot of things up there. So there were some tickets to an event, uh, old stubs from a, we went to a concert together, and that was up on the wall. And then I saw, I saw this piece of thread or yarn that was hanging on the wall, and I asked her, I said, what is that? And she said, well, that was the yarn, how much it took for me to wrap around your, your high school ring for it to be able to fit on my finger. And she had that stuck on the wall. And there were some other things, mementos of things. Now, you know, I didn't have a cork board up in my room. <laughs> if I took, when I took her to those things, if it was done, I threw those things in the trash. Amen? That's how, right, men? I mean, you know, I mean, I had some things I kept in an old cigar box, but yarn and t- old ticket stubs to know where, I, no. But that's, but that's how your wife thinks. Remember, do I have to get the ball of yarn out? Do I have to get the mop out? Do I have to do that? But that's how she thinks a lot of times. And those mementos, they meant more. That was something, it was an event where just the two of you were there together or whatever it might have been, and it made an impression. It was something that when she would look upon or look back upon it, it made her heart warm that, I, that she was valuable to me, so valuable that I took her, that we did this together. I mean, there's a place we like to go to. I don't even know if it's still open or not anymore, Brother Roger and Lafayette. There was, a little, there was a little coffee shop right there off of Ambassador Caffrey when you were going through Lafayette, how we used to go home. And, uh, and that's just a place we would go. And, and they had the best cappuccino. And we would just go there. If I was on that, uh, we were on that road together, I would just deviate down there because we had such a good time one time sitting under that little gazebo, drinking that Cajun coffee down there and just made a little memory and just... I like to go back there every now and then. It wasn't going to the Taj Mahal. It was just a little old coffee shop where we had a good time together. But it meant something to her. And so I wanted to duplicate that because it meant something to her. And so, men, I'm just telling you that your consideration of her is more important than the cost of the item. And she is touched by the things that symbolize your love for her. She is touched by those things. I'm telling you, your wife is touched by the things that symbolize your love for her. You, that you treasure her. That you treasure her. One of them might be your thanks. I, I, hope, that you're, I hope that you don't have to be prompted to say thank you for the things that she does, sometimes the mundane things. And I know I've talked a little bit about this in the past. It's hard not to have a little overlap in these areas. But brethren, I'm just telling you to have an attitude of gratitude. 
I mean, in your prayer life, does she ever hear you pray, God, thank you for, for my wife. God, thank you for the way that she loves me. I mean, does she ever hear you say that? She ought to. You ought not to be ashamed, man. You know, when you, you just can't let your pride, brethren, get in the way of your faith. And sometimes, and I know we don't live by feelings, but the way sometimes we express our feelings, you can't let your pride get in the way of that. I promise you, of all the people on the earth, she's not going to think you're unmanly for having done that. To be grateful. I mean, doesn't the scripture say that we love him because he first loved us? It makes a difference. It makes an impact. And so your thanks, your courtesy, your courtesy toward her. You know, this seems to be a dying thing. You might call it chivalry. I haven't looked it up in a while, that word, but I would just say some common courtesy. You know, whether it be opening doors... Or maybe getting an umbrella out. I know that seems so old-fashioned because in the world with all the progressive women and you don't have to do that for me. But you know, you'd be surprised when I'm in town if I see a lady coming. And I'm just saying I've watched other men do this. But, but you know, if you hold the door open for them, nine out of ten women will say thank you. I'm not trying to be anything special to them. I'm just saying that some of them still recognize what courtesy is. And they say thank you and they appreciate it. And and how much more should your wife be on the receiving end of those things? You know, I can remember as a kid, you know, I can remember as a kid that when, uh, and I've noticed that we do it here, when we're here and sometimes we're sitting back there in the chair and a woman comes to the platform, you know what we do? We stand up. Why do we do that? It's out of respect. I'll guarantee you. Why, why, why when, you, when, when the pianist gets ready to play, here comes the bride. The preacher's standing here. The groom is here. Knees knocking and everything. And as soon as they start that, dun, 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 what do people do? What do people do in the pews? What do they do? They stand up. It's out of respect. Because here comes the bride. What do we do when the colors come down here? The colors, I'm talking about our flags. I, have, I don't think I have, I don't, I don't, brother, I don't think we've ever been to a ball game where they sang the national anthem where I kept my seat. Or I kept my cap on my head. I can't think of a time I ever did that. And man, when they would blow retreat, you know what retreat is on a military post or a military base? Have reveille in the morning. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man, that was everybody get up. But, but my drill instructor was way ahead of that. I mean, you know, he would kick the bed or a can or whatever and got everybody up. And, uh, but reveille, that came in the morning. And in the evening time came retreat. That's when they lower the flag and they play taps. And wherever you were, if you weren't there at the flagpole, wherever you were, buddy, you came to attention, you popped a salute, and you just faced the music and you saluted you know, in lieu of being in front of that flag and you saluted till the music stopped and when it was stopped, you went on about your duty. To be walking around during retreat or walking around loose, your hands in your pockets, how discourteous, how disrespectful to the flag. Why? Why do we do that? 
because we love our country. We value our country. We highly esteem our country. And if there ought to be something else earthly that we esteem, it ought to be our wives, brethren, that we treat them with some courtesy. I, I, man, I remember when... when uh, I remember when uh, uh, when my mother would get up from the table. Sometimes my dad would stand up, and uh, or particularly if we were out, what would you do? If a lady she'd been to the powder room, whatever, she came back, you stood up, and you got there and you pulled the chair out for her. I know that's so old fashioned, brother. This is twenty twenty one, man. We don't do that. Just hurry up, honey. Put the grub on the table. Gosh. I need to get two band-aids out for you? <laughs> I mean, you know, and, 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 then, and yet it's a shame that wives would go like, what, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? I know how to walk over there. I know how to pull my own chair out. It's, it's kind of like the couple that came into the fire station. This was years ago. And one of the firemen just started a tirade, vulgar. And I said, hey, this couple walked into the day room. That's public area at the fire station and I immediately I looked over at him I said I said sir ma'am I said I'm very I apologize for the language and that guy said oh man it's all right you don't have to apologize she's heard that before and I said well she shouldn't have he just looked at me just because that's where the world is doesn't mean that's where God's people ought to be courtesy doors chairs and umbrella I don't know Man, it used to be a nice thing if she was cold, you gave her your coat. Did you ever do that? If you, were, you maybe went to a ball game or whatever it might have been, got a little coolish that evening, man, gave her my coat. In school, when we had a man, she'd wear your jacket, your letter jacket or your letter sweater or whatever it was. That was just all a part, that was all a part of that, kind of that system of chivalry and courtesy that we had. But I'm telling you, It'll make a difference for her. Your thanks, your courtesy, your encouraging words. How you, how you encourage her and say, man, I'm proud of you, babe, the way you handled this. Or maybe she comes back home and she relates to you. There was a difficulty or whatever. Or, or one, of our, one of our ladies had a, little, you know, had a burr under the saddle or whatever and they came to her and she talked it over and said, got them through. I said, gosh, babe, you handled that. I mean, you did that just right. I'm proud of you that you didn't shy away from that, that you were able to help them or whatever. Those things matter. Your encouraging words, your gifts, your time. I mean, um, it could be your service. And when I say your time, in other words, that you're spending time with her over maybe doing some guy things that you choose just to do with her. Because her fellowship is important to you. I know that, man, I, I enjoy playing golf and doing other things with the brethren and fish and do all that stuff. But there are sometimes I just want to do some stuff with my wife. And it may not necessarily be something that I would go out and do on my own. But it ought to be something, brethren, that you enjoy because she likes to do it and you're with her. Amen, Brother Ed. I really like that. I understand. 
There's give and take there. She's allowed to have a life, to have some things that she enjoys, and to have you along and enjoy that with her means the world to her. Uh, I, I know I know some in here that they've actually even eaten in restaurants. I've done even eaten in restaurants because they know that's where their wife likes to go. I commend you for it. Did you hear that? In other words, that you might sit down and eat something that may not be the, the on the top of your list, but you did it. Why? Because that's where my wife likes to go on occasion, and I went with her. That's important. I'll guarantee you, it, it plants some things in her heart. Other ways that you demonstrate it, brethren, to be in your service for her. Maybe little things that need to be done around the house that, you know, we, we, we sometimes we're looking for ways to have good works. Well, why can't we use good works for our wife? Do the things that she asks us to do on the honeydew list or whatever it might be. However you want to call it. Getting to those things. Maybe your listening ear of her opinion on some areas. I mean, you know that she has, I mean, hopefully you, I believe you married a woman with a brain. And uh, I'm sure she knows how to think. I mean, you did marry her. I wouldn't, you know, you certainly shouldn't be saying, man, she's not very bright. Well, what does that say about you? A prudent wife's from the Lord. And so probably, brethren, she has an opinion about some stuff that might actually help you. Gosh, when I was going through this, I've asked Debbie about some of these things. I said, honey, what are some ways that we can show this? Or, 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 or how, how can I get them to see this or whatever? What's a better way to explain this? I, you know, coming from the viewpoint of a woman. We've talked about some of these lessons. I've picked her brain. I went through that ball of yarn trying to find answers. And she got some good stuff. I remember she was teaching something here one time. She was teaching the ladies' Sunday school. And man, she was teaching about, about being overwhelmed and overworked. And it was, I would say like, darling, write that down for me. It was a good series that she, that she put together. And we, we talk about some of those things. And I hope that you do that together in the Sunday school lesson you learned or the preaching that you had after the service that day. And, and I'm not talking about picking it apart, but I'm talking about to help digest it, to meditate on it. And we say, man, that was a good message today. Boy, that was right on time or that was right in line with what we've been talking about or what we've been praying about. She has an opinion. Doesn't mean that necessarily in that decision-making paradigm or whatever you want to call it, how it doesn't mean that necessarily that you're going to decide with her on that major topic. But it, uh, listen, there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And your wife probably has some good counsel for you. I'll bet you, I'll bet you if Abigail could have talked to Nabal and he would have listened to some good counsel, he probably wouldn't have died of a heart attack. Probably would have given him a few more years. Your listening ear. Your consideration of her and the children when you make decisions that affect the family. That shows that you're valuing her, that, that her happiness and security and stability are important to you. 
It's not just, well, I feel like doing this and we're going to go do it. You know, just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. (laughs) Another way that you can do this, I know you're enjoying this, is that you notice changes in her. That you notice some things about her. It might be her hair. It might be a particular dress that you like, how she looks, and you ought to compliment her on it. You ought to say that to her. That ought not to be, you know, why should another lady in the church say, well, that's a, very, that, that's a pretty dress, you know, or whatever. Why should that come from another woman in the church? That ought to come from you. I will tell you something about Sister Osborne. Uh, when uh, I hadn't been here very long, and Sister Osborne, if you don't know who that is, that's Brother Fred Osborne's wife. She was a pastor's wife for 40 years. And Miss Osborne, she, I mean, she's still alive. She's a blessing. It would be great if she could hear this. But, but I have reminded her about this when we went to one of those fellowships where she was able to go. I reminded her about that. And she just laughed and laughed. Her and Miss Coker used to get into trouble together. And, uh, but anyway, she came in one day and I, I complimented her. I said, I said, sister, that is a, I said, that is a, I said, you look nice today. I said, that's a very pretty dress. And she came in and she walked about six feet past me and she turned around and she said, hey, pretty lady. <laughs> You'd have to know Miss Osborne, but I mean, she cracked me up. And, uh, you know, but it ought not, it ought to be that, man, that, that your wife hears that from you. Because I'll guarantee you she's wearing what she's wearing to please you. Or at least she should be. And so men, you ought to have a comment about that. Notice changes or whatever. So let me get on to the third thing. Man, y'all are just really soaking this up. We talked about the definition, how we can demonstrate it. And she will feel that you value her when you put time in on these things, brethren. When you think about it and to do it, and it ought to be a little bit like breathing. And again, it shouldn't be so, it shouldn't be so frequent all the time, if you will, that it loses its value in and of itself. But there are, this is a part of acknowledging those strengths and the like. But how do we develop these things? How does this, how does this esteeming my wife... How does that develop? How does that get developed? Well, I think it starts just like all Christian education. It starts in the home. And dad, you and I, we ought to be training our sons. We ought to be training our sons to do these things. As you, you, if you will, the way you treat your wife, your son should be observing those things. How you speak to her, how you consider her. He should be, if you will, in on some of that. He should be observing those things. That it ought not to be strange for him to see you respect her or to show courtesy to her. Because one day he's going to have a wife and what he learns at the house, he's going to practice. They need to be taught, Dad, the teaching of our children. That really is our responsibility according to the Word of God. We teach by our example. We teach by our exhortations of how to treat a wife. I I remember there was a young man in a Christian school and uh, he put his hands on one of the teachers. He was 17 years old. I wasn't in the habit of paddling teenagers that old but he put his hands, he was physical with, I, I mean, I could have called the cops. 
And he put his hands on this teacher and he got him in there and I, I paddled him. He thought he was too big and I wanted him to see that he wasn't too big and that he needed to keep his hands off of the female teachers, uh, any female at the school. And what I learned later on from, from some others that were in administration that there was a history of family violence where the dad had been physical, abusive to their mother. So what was this kid learning? He was learning to walk in his father's footsteps. If that be true about the negative things, why can't that be true about the positive things, the good things? And so they need to be trained. So dads, train your sons. Teach them how to do that. Open the door or... You know, do something for their grandmother. Like, you know, when you walk through the room and there's an elderly person there, you ought to speak to them. You just don't ignore them. You speak to them. You respect them. I, I've watched I've watched some when I, when I was on the ambulance and I watched how some of the, if you will, some of the folks, the different cultures that we have here in our community, and I watched how some of them treated their loved ones. And I told them, and I, I told them, I said, man, I appreciated how you spoke to your grandmother. I said, in your culture, your grandparents and those that lived before you, I said, they mean something to you, don't they? And they said, oh, yes, they do. And I said, I could tell by the way that you treat them. I said, it wouldn't hurt to have some of these white kids around here learn how to do that. And that's a failure at home. And dad, it ought not to be so. If you want your son to be a good husband one day, to know how to love his wife and not be bitter against her, you need to do some training while they're still at the house. Because they get gone and sometimes it's a little late. It is. And dads, how's your daughter going to know what to look for in a man if all she sees is how you treat their mother? And so something I'd recommend that you ought to do is you take her out on a date. Show her what it's like to actually be out with a gentleman where, you know, he picks her up, he opens the door for her, he seats her at the table, he helps her with her order or whatever. There, you ought, there ought to be a date. It doesn't, have to be, it doesn't have to be a fancy place. It could be a McDonald's or whatever. It's the principle that, it's the principle that you're investing time in her to show that she is valuable to you. Listen, young men, what they need from their fathers is approval. Young ladies, what they need from their dads is affection. If you don't do it, some toe-headed, knot-headed boy is going to come along and steal that right away from you. It happens all the time. Because dads won't make the investment. You're even training her how to receive those things. Maybe you have to talk with her and say, listen, if he opens the door for you, that's a good thing. He ought to do that. Or if he does this or he does that, that these are things that you should be looking for in addition to all the spiritual things that are there. And I do think that some of these things do have a spiritual connotation. They're not just social norms, if you will. But they overall have to do with how he estimates, the estimation that he has of you. Do you think or oh, that young man escapes me? 
do you think Absalom really, really esteemed that sister? And those brothers and what they did? Amnon, thank you. He did not. After he had her, after he mistreated her, he says that he hated her more than he ever loved her. It's a shame, but some of that stuff, you know, was learned behavior. Remember what happened with those boys? Because dad didn't restrain them. He didn't tell them no, and they got in trouble. Eli's sons, because he didn't restrain them, they died. Dad? You've got an obligation to do these things. We, we, want, we want our sons and daughters to be not only, if you will, good Christians, not nominal, but sold out and to be good citizens. You know, I wouldn't want my son to be in the Montgomery County Police Reporter. I look at that every now and then. I look to see if I know somebody. Is this a former patient? Is it somebody I visited? I look at that. I don't do it all the time. I happen to look at it today. And I was looking at the ones, man, aggravated assault, aggravated assault, aggravated assault with a weapon, you know. And I'm sure there was alcohol involved in those things. Brethren, God didn't give us wives for them to be punching bags. Brethren, God didn't give you little girls so that your sons could pound on them. You got to put a stop to that. If you don't, there'll be trouble down the road. Some of that trouble you can't recover from. While you have the authority, while you have you have an obligation, but while you have the authority, while they are still yours to train, you need to intervene in these things, lest other authorities outside of your home and your church have to get involved. That's why God put the civil authority out there. Parents, pastors, teachers, then those other government authorities. And we live in a society that pornography has warped and created some of these things, the low esteem of women, and, uh, and it hurts our homes and it'll hurt the church. And brethren... You've you got to put a stop to it when they're little. Anger rests in the bosom of a fool. I don't care if he's seven years old or 17. You've got to help him. If you want him to shine, you want that quiver full of those arrows, but that he had to shape the shaft on that thing. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. He had to shape those arrows. You didn't get them from, what is it, Easton? You didn't buy them. You can't go to academy and get them. They had to be shaping. And brethren, that falls upon us. We need to train those arrows. Do our best. Do our best. Um, I love you. The definition, the demonstration, the development. Man, there's a lot out there when it comes to esteeming. And you know, and brethren, I'm going to say to you, and I'm going to close with this. You know, we took that word close, closeness and openness and understanding and peacemaking and loyalty. If you're doing those, th- those four things, 
esteeming is not very far behind because you're not going to do, you're not going to be close, you're not going to be open, you're not going to be willing to be understanding, you're not going to be a peacemaker, and you're certainly not going to be loyal to someone that you do not esteem. And so these are areas, brethren, that, that these are lifelong, lifelong challenges to us because our learning curve is always changing as we grow and as our wives grow older. And you get in these years where, you know, Debbie and I have talked about our warranties are wearing out. You got an ache and a pain here and suddenly that hurts. They were picking at me about snap, crackle, pop in my legs and stuff. And, uh, and I, I, man, I think that's great fun. I told Carson it only happens in the morning. It's not that way all day. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you're... you're all these things are going to, are going to happen. I, you know, did you, did you happen to read about the lady? And I'm going to be done with this. I wished it was a man that had done it. I, I had read of other stories where patients with Alzheimer's where a man came every day and he brought flowers. He got dressed up. And uh, he'd been married to this lady for more than 50 years and she had Alzheimer's. And people asked him what they were doing. And uh, he said, why do you do that? He said, because she can't remember and he said, well, that's not the problem that she can't remember. He said, the problem is I remember. And so he brought her flowers and he courted her every day and he would go to that nursing home and visit her. There was a lady here recently in Florida. Her husband had been separated from her. He was in a, kind of a special unit with dementia and Alzheimer's and with the coronavirus, she couldn't visit him anymore. It had been 114 days. Well, then she found out they had a job opening at that nursing home for a dishwasher. And so she applied for the job, and, uh, and they gave it to her. And so she got to see her husband for the first time, I think it was a couple days ago, and said he just cried and hugged her when he saw her. She had tried to see him before, but they just had a glass up, and they would just visit through the glass. And she said he would just weep as he looked at her. And she tried to explain it to him, but he couldn't understand it. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? But she got that job, and I thank God for those folks that let her have the job so she could be there with him. There's some cruel things that are going to come with our age. We ought to do our best to minimize them while we can. Amen. Love your wives, brethren. Love your wives the way God intended. And I pray God will bless your home and your marriage. I really do. Let's pray. Father, I sure do thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the wives that you have put in the lives of our my brethren, Lord, my wife in particular, dear God, I thank you for her, her faithfulness, God, and long-suffering, and, and uh, Lord, her love that she has for me and for our children and grandchildren, and her faithfulness, Lord, diligence, God, over so many what I think to be just menial things and the good attitude with which she does them. I pray, Father, that you'll continue to give us years together, and, uh, Lord, I pray for the couples of our assembly, God, that you'll bless them, that their marriages, Lord, would be nurtured and, uh, and grow even in these golden years. Bless those that are just getting started out, Father. May they make an investment in each other and in their futures together. And, Father, we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.